right. <clears throat> Hopefully my, my voice will hold out. I've had some weird sinus junk going on. I, I cleaned out a, a, some container thing that came with our house, and it was full of garbage and who knows what, asbestos and rat poop and everything, and we swept it, and it got all in my head. <clears throat> and I've been coughing for the last three days, so I apologize if I'm a little rough. Um, but I want to kind of, <laughs> kind of continue with what we've been talking about. Um, but also kind of lead into where, where we are in the season two. I'm not really good with just bailing and just doing a, uh, you guys know me, a traditional like Christmas service type thing, which is cool because we have mostly friends here. We've got some visitors, but uh, what we've been talking about will we'll kind of lead into this too is the kingdom of God being here. And uh, it's been really cool to see, uh, man, the more we see Jesus on earth, the more we see God. I mean, he's just such, I mean, he is the perfect representation of God as Father, um, and, and the more that, that we read about it and we see it, we learn about it, it's, it's just more revealing to me of how great God's character really is um, and how much grace he's given us. And so uh, we, before we can kind of move forward, we, we've been in Matthew, which if you're new to the Bible, I recommend you start in Matthew. It's the book that I started with, and it's really good. Um, and we've kind of broken it up into sections, and we've been, we've been kind of hanging around this one verse and building from it and towards it and everything like that. Up to this point, we've been building from it, and I'm going to kind of go backwards into Malachi real quick, and then we're going to continue into it. But the verse that we've been hanging around is Matthew 4, 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now, you're going to see this as bookends in Matthew. He's going to say it, and he's going to tell you what he's going to say, and then he's going to say it, and then he's going to tell you that he said it again. He's going to say this several times. And so he does these things very specifically. But before we even get to Matthew, we have to see why, uh, ultimately, whether the whole world knew it or not, but especially the Jews at that time were on the edge of their seats waiting for a Savior. Uh, Malachi is kind of a rough book to read if you, don't, if you don't gain context, which we call kind of the meta-narrative of the big picture of the story of the Bible. Uh, there was a kingdom in the beginning. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth were overlapping, um, where we could walk with God. God walked with us. He was happy at us, and we were happy at him. And we, we worked together, uh, and, and it was great. And then we messed it up. <laughs> so uh, we kind of had a hostile takeover. We created our own kingdom where we decided what good and evil was. And we're not very good at that. If, you, if you're familiar with human history, we fum, tend to fumble that up a lot. And we see throughout the whole Old Testament of where people fumbled that up a lot. We see representations of basically the human condition in kings and pharaohs. We see Pharaoh... Uh, representing a, an earthly kingdom that decides what's good and evil, he would say that it's okay to kill babies so that we can have bigger storehouses. He decided that one thing was good and one thing was evil. Basically, uh, what the Bible calls the, the, kingdom of, the kingdoms of this world are the kingdom of sin and death. And so we see these kingdoms separated, and then we see these pockets. And for the, all the Old Covenant, this pocket was the Holy of Holies and the temple, right? So basically, it was a, an image of the garden. It was an image of where God and man were together. And so only you had to be of a certain lineage, you had to be, uh, you, you had to go through all these things, make these sacrifices to get and to enter into this place where heaven and earth met. And there was this little bubble, if you will, of, of this temple where you could meet with God. But there were all these stipulations that you had to go through to get there. So we have the cycle of the old covenant where God's people would uh, be good and then they would fail and then God would be mad at them and then they would repent and then they would be good again. And so you have the cycle. So for God's people, they knew the cycle well, and they were waiting for it. They were on the edge of their seats waiting for their Savior to come again, because he always did. Um, he would be angry, and he would, his wrath would be poured out. They would repent. Dun, dun, dun. You'll get this? I'm trying to catch y'all up from the last few weeks if you hadn't been here. 
So there's a cycle that's going on. And so you have all these people that are waiting on the edge of their seat for the Savior to come, especially God's chosen people of that day, were waiting, which were the Jews, were waiting for this new Savior to come to do what? What he always did. He would free the oppressed. He would, set, he would, he would um, liberate people from the bondage they were under. So we have the Jews of this day who thought that they were in bondage, which they were in, to some level under Rome. You had the Roman guards going around, and, and they, they pledged allegiance to Caesar. So Caesar was this newer version of Pharaoh, and they were oppressed, right? Everybody good? All right. Um, so they were oppressed, and they were waiting for this new Savior to come, and he was going to fix it. He was going to obliterate, you know, in their heads, he was going to obliterate Rome, and he was going to make the Jews the new super geopolitical superpower, and they were going to be good again. They were going to be God's chosen people again. But God had a bigger plan, right? God said, okay, from the beginning of time, he wanted to save all people, all people. It was always his heart. This is what was important for us because most, if not all of us in here are Gentiles. Gentiles are just non-Jews. So in the beginning of time, God's heart was to save us too. We, we just were pretty screwed up for a long time. So when, when Jesus is about to come, Malachi is sent as this messenger to, to really appeal more to the Jews, but also to kind of give us an, an understanding of what's about to happen. So I've got a few little, just not to go through the whole thing, but a few little excerpts here from Malachi. Uh, before we even get to Jesus' birth, we have to see why they're on the edge of their seat. So Malachi 2, he goes into, and this is a little rough, so bear with me as a Christmas message. He says, I will, sm I will smear on your faces the dung from the festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And he goes on to say, you, uh, you, have, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied, you ask? Uh, by saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. This is another example of the earthly kingdom. We know the Pharisees of this day and the Sadducees had taken and, and corrupted. This is why Jesus turned the tables over. They had corrupted the, the sacrificial system. They had corrupted the system that, that God had put in play. And they had, and Jesus goes on to say, you know, you put loads on people's backs that you yourself can't even carry. And he calls them brood of vipers and all these things. So Malachi is, is trying to warn them of something that's coming. He goes on to say, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Almighty. Says the Almighty, and he's talking about John the Baptist here. And the reason we know he's talking about John the Baptist here is because later on in, in 4 or 5, he says, See, I will send a prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. But in Matthew 13, and I'm bouncing around a lot here, he says, uh, for all the prophets of the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So that kind of connects those two. Even though he says there's going to be a prophet like Elijah coming, he's really speaking of John the Baptist there. And so he's not prefacing some end times thing. He's prefacing what's about to happen in Matthew. This is the book right before Matthew. So he says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Talking about Jesus here. Who can stand when, it, when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner, a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And down to four one, he says, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will, will be stubble. And, and the day is coming to set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or branch will be left to them. This is what Jesus is doing, what we talked about last week when he says, You've heard it said, but I say. He's getting to the heart of the issue. What Jesus does is he doesn't, he doesn't fool around. He gets down to the nitty-gritty. He says, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you exactly what's wrong with you, and then I'm going to fix it. I'm not going to give you some new set of laws that you can't keep. I'm going to tell you what your real issue is. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I say, love your enemy. 
You've heard it said. And he's talking real more specifically to a lot of the Pharisees and Sadducees of that day that thought that they were great and good. And he even goes on to say to all the people, if, if your faith, if, if you don't believe, if your righteousness is not greater than that of the Pharisees, you will not make it into the kingdom. He's setting us up. He's letting us know that there's no way that we can make it on our own. It's, it's, a, it's a grand setup. And he says, listen, you've heard it said this, you've heard it said that, you've heard it said don't, don't commit adultery. But I say if you looked at a woman in lust, then you've committed adultery in your heart. He's setting us up to say you don't have a behavioral issue, you have a heart issue. We can all fake behavior. Have you met human beings? If you've met anyone, you, you, can, you can fake it. The whole fake it till you make it thing, don't do, please don't do that. That's religion. Religion tries to pretend like it's something that it's not. Relationship says you are, so behave this way. Jesus gets right to the root, and he doesn't pull any stops. He talks about sex. He talks about adultery. He talks about uh, your enemies. He talks about people treating you badly. He, he doesn't mess around. He gets right to the point. This is what he's talking about refining with fire. Jesus says, I'm coming, and I'm bringing my kingdom with me, and where my kingdom goes, things change. The phrase that we started with, Matthew 4, 23, says, Jesus went about Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news. That's the first half. I wish there was somewhere that we could find this teaching and proclaiming. There is. All the following verses. <laughs> when he talks about, he goes to the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Basically saying, blessed is this guy who you think is no good. You say, well, this guy is, is hurting and sick because of something his father did, some kind of generational curse. I'm coming to say, no, blessed is this guy because I'm going to give him a new generation. I'm going I'm to give him a new lineage. I'm going to make him mine. He's turning this kingdom upside down on its head. There's not going to be this hierarchy anymore. He says, look, the greatest will be the least and the least will be the greatest. He literally says, knowing all, everything was under his reign, that he had all authority in heaven and earth, it says he bent down and he washed his disciples' feet. His kingdom comes with serving. This is the greatest that says, I'm going to serve my neighbor and I'm going to love those whether they love me or not. He says, this kingdom looks so radically different that I'm going to take a lot of time explaining it. That's the first half. He says, listen, he goes throughout Galilee teaching and proclaiming, teaching and proclaiming. Uh, half of his mission was explaining his kingdom. Uh, Matthew 5 through 7 does just that. Uh, he really gets to the, deep, the, the deepest motives and fears that we have. Jesus addresses all of those, and he does it by teaching them first. This is why when we talk about uh, the modern operation of the giftings, a lot of times in my charismatic background, that's all the radical fun stuff that we would call, like jumping around and healing and seeing all these radical things. But the modern operation of the gifts in, includes, just as importantly, teaching and understanding and clarifying what all this stuff means. It's the same thing we had uh, with the Corinthian church. We have to understand and decipher what's going on, or we just go off about ourselves and we mess things up. It's just as important for us to teach and to learn and understand what's going on. Now, the second part he does talk about, he says, listen, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news and healing every disease and sickness of the people. We can't leave that off. That's a part of the kingdom. When the kingdom comes, things happen. Jesus didn't just teach, and he didn't just proclaim. He demonstrated what the kingdom looked like, right? He even taught us when we pray. How do you pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. This, this, this idea that, that I was taught when I first got saved about trying to get, give people these tickets to go to heaven when they die, was completely backwards of what Jesus teaches. Jesus constantly says, my kingdom's here, my kingdom's here, my kingdom's here. 
Repent. Repent. Metanoia. Change the way you think. My kingdom has come near. And then we're on the other side of it where he has, he has sacrificed himself for our sins, uh, beat sin, death, and hell, and sent his Holy Spirit so his kingdom is with you. It says, uh, it says the kingdom of God is, is, is not meat or drink, but is righteousness, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Where's the kingdom? It's in the Holy Spirit. He says, I've come to make my mansions with you. I place my mansion, I place my home in your heart. So the deposit that we have is the kingdom of God. That's the radical kingdom message that everybody's like, kill him. They didn't say, you know, Jesus didn't come and say, oh, you know, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Kill that guy. No, that's not why they killed him. It wasn't because he said, love your neighbor as yourself. It's because he said, I'm the righteous king and I came to bring my kingdom with me. And if you were a young Jewish boy, this is all you heard your whole life. And so they hear he's teaching in the synagogue and he says, the kingdom of God has come near. Lights go off. They know this kingdom all the way from Elijah. When, when we're looking for this messenger to come and bring his kingdom, set our people free, liberate us, get rid of our enemies. They were just nearsighted. They didn't see their real enemies, right? They saw Rome and they saw soldiers and they saw bad people. Does this sound familiar within our church culture? It breaks my heart that we reduce Jesus to some good moral teacher in the Americanized Christianity that I see preached a lot. This is not some, it's, it's unfortunately turned into this like multi-million dollar sin management system when Jesus has forgiven us. <laughs> I'm not here to forgive you. Don't, we say it all the time, don't, don't give a tithe or an offering because you think it's going to gain you something from God. If you're doing that, stop giving until you find your identity in Christ, then give from that place. Because I'd rather you be healthy in your heart and be giving from that place than be giving from fear and obligation, not knowing who your heavenly father is. In the same way, we can't, we don't decide good and evil, God does. His standard is, is, is never changed. None of us can live up to it, not a one, which means no one else you run into could ever live up to it, not a one. This loving your neighbor as yourself recognizes that that love is agape love. It's not conditional where they do something for you back. This kind of love says, I'm going to look for your best interest regardless of whether I get anything out of it. That is not, you are not capable of that. Without, you are not capable of that type of love until God gives it to you. So he says, we love because he first loved us. We agape because he gave us agape to give to others. The beautiful thing about that is it frees you from your need of acceptance from other people because we have a vine now, right? You, it doesn't say abide in the branches. <laughs> it's good that we have branches. I'm not saying you guys are bad, but you abide in the vine. And so when you give love and then they do something, they don't appreciate it or they don't reciprocate, you're free from that. This, this, I always talk about this when we talk about grace and people call it greasy grace or slippery, whatever they want to call it. Uh, I like it when they call hyper grace because that's exactly what Paul called it. It was hyper grace. Um, and I'm like, yes, you're right. <laughs> it's hyper grace. It is above and beyond what we could ever do to, to outrun it. We can't outrun it. That's how God works. The, the, I think the hardest part for, and I'll, I'll preach to myself a little bit, the hardest part for Christians in general, people that go to church, is recognizing that other believers are our brothers and sisters too. Because we sometimes tend to see, you know, bad people or, or sinners out in the world um, as, as, as like that's our only mission field. But there are so many people that are caught in bondage in religion that are right next to us in church that are living their lives in a, on, on this crazy roller coaster that they don't have to live. Where they're trying to, every time they think they mess up, they've got to work their way back up into, into God's grace. 
like they've got to like they've got to meet him somewhere when he has met every need and gives us this brand new identity that we can live from. It's essentially like screaming at a caterpillar to turn into a butterfly. Just change. Would you just change already? And if you've been a part of ministry at all, you've probably been a part of that. And I can remember early on in ministry, man, I wanted to slap people with Bibles all the time. Like, don't you see what I see, right? Don't you get it? Why are you, why are you doing this stuff? And you want to shake people into the kingdom. But how thoughtful of it was, how thoughtful was God to, to give us some great examples of how we're supposed to do this? That's why he says he was teaching and proclaiming the good news in these synagogues. He was teaching and proclaiming. He was teaching and proclaiming, and then he would demonstrate it. So when we go out, when we talk about leaving these doors and, and even our little outreach, and I mean, it was just a blast. We go in there, and everybody's excited, and everybody pulls out their phones and videos and everything. It's just a neat thing that we do that's different for the Waffle House employees. But those employees, in that moment, they didn't need to, to have this grand explanation of what the kingdom looks like and whether they needed to get saved in that moment or not. They needed to see the love of God in, right then. And sometimes that's a gift card in a bag when they're at work stressed out. I always refer back to this with my mom when she told me that God gave her an upfront parking spot one time. And I remember when I was younger, I scoffed. And I was like, God is not concerned with your parking spot. There's you know, starving babies and everything. But I always go back and, and, and God corrected me on that years later. And in that moment, my mom needed to see that God saw her. He's not going to give you all upfront parking spots. <laughs> I don't know that. He might. <laughs> he hadn't done that for me yet. But, I didn't. but in that moment, that's how personal God is. In that moment, God said, you, you, you need this, and I'm going to supply it for you. And it may be small to everyone else, but it's big to you. This is, this is the maturity that we have to get on when we don't scoff at people when they bring their prayer request to us or when they, when they have a need. Everyone's needs are different. Everyone's gifts are different. Everyone's different. <laughs> Stop trying to put everyone in a box. Don't put God in a box either. When he says he came proclaiming this kingdom, this kingdom is multifaceted. <laughs> That's what I love about understanding the kingdom. It's not just this way, although Jesus is the only way. Once, once Jesus does this, this is why he, he spits in the dirt for one guy and rubs it in his eye. It doesn't mean you spit in the dirt. And, and I think he did this on purpose. I know that he did it on purpose because if, if he only spit in the dirt and rubbed it in people's eye, we would have spit dirt eye churches on every corner. <laughs> mud, mud healing rooms everywhere we go. <laughs> I mean... Jesus, yeah, so it's like saliva, the first saliva church of whatever. <laughs> anyway, he, he does things constantly. He, he talks to a general in the way a general understands. He even talks to the Pharisees in the way they understand when they say, hey, you can't heal this person on the Sabbath. Jesus says, go learn what it means to desire mercy over sacrifice because you guys know the Torah. Go learn what it means because you know it. He, he speaks to people in how they understand. Even Nic Nicodemus, Nick at night, meet me secretly. Did Jesus have to do that? No. He did. Okay, I'll meet you secretly. He meets at a tax collector's house. Why does your, why does your leader meet at a, at a tax collector's and eats with sinners? He says, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. This is, this is Jesus breaks down 613 laws into one. Jesus breaks down a complicated message into a simple message. He says, Repent. Change the way you think about this kingdom. This kingdom is upside down from what you understand. Repent. Stop. This is not what you think. I'm not going to free you from your immediate issues. I'm going to destroy your real enemies. I love when, when Peter goes to take the ear off and Jesus heals him. 
Was there a battle going on there? 100%. Jesus was in the fight. Every time I talk about this, it gets me. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what he was going to have to do. Could they have fought with swords? Yeah, they were ready. He told them to get the swords. (laughs) But he taught them in the moment, not just a lesson by teaching them, but in the moment he taught them by demonstrating what this kingdom looks like. I'm here to heal. I'm not here to fight against flesh and blood. I've got a bigger battle going on. You can't see it yet. Lord, just show us the Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, just show us the way. I am the way. This is hard. (laughs) This is a hard teaching, they said. Yeah, it is. You're going to probably lose your families over it. Just let let, let the dead bury the dead. Let your dad stay on the fishing boat. You come with me. You follow me. This kingdom's radically different, and it's, it's going to hurt. It's going to change, and it's going to be, you're going to have to let go of all of your traditions. You're going to have to let go of all that you know to be true, because I am the truth. You're going to have to give up all your ways, because I am the way. Here's the good news. His truth is better than your truth. His way is better than your way. Literally says his ways are better than I love, uh, I don't love, I hate that I was so, growing up I was very defiant and angry at everyone in the world. (laughs) Um, The representation I had of of father figures and and just adults in general that that were supposed to be responsible and care for for innocent young people um, did not. And so I had this picture painted of what life looked like. And I had this picture painted of what God looked like because that's all I knew. And when I went to church, there were people that wanted me to dress a certain way and act a certain way, and everything I did was wrong. It took years for someone to finally teach and demonstrate the love of God to me. Not just how bad I was because I knew I was bad. It was very obvious. Even by the world standards, I was bad. I didn't even need a church to tell me that. But for someone to to take the time, probably a year and a half, this, this young man taught me and demonstrated what the kingdom looked like in front of me. And I was drawn to it like a moth to light. When he would say things that were so radically different than what I'd ever heard, I thought, what is wrong with this guy? How can he say God is good when someone just died? How can he respond to this person who is treating him poorly with honor and respect? That doesn't make any sense. It's like he's a part of another world. How is he singing hymns through this warehouse? It's just crazy. And I began to see, and he was patient, and I asked questions to try to pin him in a corner because I thought he's, he's like everybody else. He's just trying to, you know, check off a list or whatever, get me to go to church, and so he feels better about himself. Like, I knew hustle. I grew up hustling, and I understood how relationships worked. But I didn't. I didn't really know how it worked in the kingdom. And I'm telling you, unfortunately, after after I was saved, and I, man, I was so happy. You guys probably remember that, uh, man, probably the first two, three weeks of just being a different person, right? Having a new life. And then some of that began. I don't. I don't want to say it fades, but you know what I'm talking about. It's like, okay, well, now what? 
I remember those days. I'm thinking, well, now I need to learn a lot of things. And I got a Bible, and I started reading the Bible, and I was like, I don't know what any of this means. I thought reaping and sowing. My grandmother used to sow, and I thought, they must be reaping the, what are they doing? I don't know. I don't farm. I literally thought, <laughs> I remember, uh, I thought uh, Martin Luther was Martin Luther King Jr. I didn't even know who, who was, anybody was. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to catch, play catch up, right, at 20 years old. I'm trying to figure all this stuff out. And as many of you that have ended up here, I got caught up in religion. And I got pulled out of that, that beautiful place of grace and truth and got pushed into a, a man-made religion, basically another version of an earthly kingdom. And man, it, it didn't take long to crush me under it. And I thought, maybe this isn't for me. You know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Or, you know, maybe something's wrong. And I, I always point out, I was like, maybe it's me. Everybody else must be right because I'm not that smart, you know. But it was the Holy Spirit in me kept stirring. Like, this is, there's something more. There's something else going on. And I can remember thinking, when are we going to do the things? Like, we just go to church all the time. We don't ever do the things. <laughs> I want to do the things. <clears throat> and then I would read the Bible, and I'm like, why doesn't our church look like this Bible? <laughs> you know? Why, does, why don't we do more of the things? Is when I first found uh, Deeper Life, which is now Pure Grace. And they were doing the things, right? They were, they were teaching, and then they were healing, and they were teaching, and then they were going out. And I wanted to go out. I wanted to get out of the church. And, but I didn't know what that looked like because I had already been trained in all these crazy things that I was still trying to get into a room that I was already in, right? I was coming up to the front confessing sins thinking, oh, maybe I forgot one. That's why God's not giving me this gift of whatever, like speaking in tongues or doing these things. It's, it's got to be because I haven't, I haven't done enough. I haven't given up enough. I haven't sacrificed enough. And the Holy Spirit kept pointing me back to Jesus. Like, here I am. What are you looking for? What do you need any of this other stuff for? I'll give you whatever you want. I got all the gifts. I'm the gift giver. I'm Jesus, right? I'm here. I came to you when you got saved first. I never left. I'm not going anywhere. The Bible says if you go and join yourself to a harlot, look, I go with you. It doesn't mean you need to go do those things. It means he ain't going anywhere. He's not leaping out of your body. Saying, nope, you, you did too much now. My grace can't cover that. He says, no, you're a son and you're better than this. You're a daughter and you are more honorable than this. That's the truth. So the truth of God is even above our own conscience. <laughs> One of the translations says, it's even above our own conscience. Imagine that. God's opinion of you is better than your opinion of yourself. What good news is that? <clears throat> Jesus goes out of his way to find the broken and hurting, to not only teach and proclaim, but to demonstrate his kingdom. When, when the king comes, his kingdom goes with him. When he sees someone with leprosy, he's not afraid of leprosy jumping on him. He knows that the kingdom is going to jump on them. He says, I'm part of something that's greater than, than this world. I, I have good news. <laughs> the kingdom has come. Repent. Change the way you think about everything. <laughs> everything has changed. Now when you walk, you are walking, talking temples. You don't have to go to the, the synagogues anymore. You don't have to jump through hoops anymore. I'm the only hoop you jump through now. And my arms are wide open. Well, what religion does is it creates all these extra hoops to jump through that Jesus never intended. He said, look, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. All, all of the laws hang on these. If you truly do these things, you'll see. I'm not talking about the, the fluffy puppy dog and butterfly love. I'm talking about agape love. I don't know if you know anything about agape love, but it, 
It's messy. Religion's neat. Relationship is messy. If you don't know, get in a relationship. <laughs> get multiple ones. You'll see how messy they get. Take a trip with somebody. Spend some time. I'm serious. Spend some time with them. Do, I mean, do a job or something. Work on something together. You'll see how messy relationship is. You'll see what agape love looks like if you want to receive it and give it. It's very clear. It becomes very clear in, those, in the trenches of, of relationship. Get married. That's a good example. See, see, see how messy relationship can be. It's not bad. I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm just saying it's not all neat. It requires something of you. It requires you to, it requires you, okay, let me back up. It requires something of you that you can't do on your own. I am not good enough for Tracy, 100%. I cannot live up to what she needs. And even though she's much greater than I, she can't live up to what I need. Only God can do that. Anytime that we get into uh, an argument or, or whatever, disagreement, um, we both have to realize that, that we, are, we don't complete each other. God does. God's the only one that can do that. I have to give her a love that, that only he can give that is not just waiting on her to reciprocate it. And she has to do the same. And that ain't easy all the time. It takes some time. It takes some repentance, metanoia. Change the way you think. Just because I do good for you doesn't mean I'm like, okay, when's it coming back? I don't want to, like, step on y'all's toes here, but, okay, I, I did this nice for you, so I need, you should have done something nice for me. That's not agape. Agape says, I'm going to do this. I'm let, Man, and I'll tell you, I'll, I will legitimately tell you from experience, any time that I've done it the other way where I expect something, it's not going well. I'll be mad for four days. She has no idea why. Because <laughs> I was nice to you, and I was waiting for you to be nice to me back in a way that I want that you have no idea. <laughs> That's the logic that we have, right? She didn't even know. But the times that I say, I'm going to be nice and not expect anything in return, the Lord over-blesses me back. It's like it works. It just works. And it's hard. It's not easy. It takes time. You learn metanoia. You, you repent. You change the way you think. One of the things that I learned as I, as I studied, limited, studied the heart. I'm not like a doctor by any means. But as I studied the heart, as I kept reading scripture and it talked about how he comes into our heart and kept talking about this heart, 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 heart. <clears throat> and talks about renewing our minds, it dawned on me that, wait a minute, this heart is a pretty important thing. In our culture, we think the brain, the, or the, the heart is our emotions and the brain is our logic, right? Don't let your heart get away. You need to keep it in check. But the Bible teaches opposite. It says that let your heart lead and let your mind catch up. Renew your mind. So this is the hardware. This is the software. If we're talking about computers, let your mind catch up to what your heart knows is true. So when you're born again, you, the heart of stone comes out, and then he writes his laws on your heart and gives you a heart of flesh, Right? So that's the truth. Boom, it's done. You, you could be no better than you are once you're saved. Now, from that place, you grow in your mind and you begin to train yourself to operate from the heart. And I think it's important because I, the, the, we know that people can be brain dead and still be alive. The heart, as I studied, I realized, that, uh, I learned that the heart has its own firing system, like its own brain. It will function without the brain. It'll, it'll pump blood. It's the most important thing you got. And so... When, when he says he places this home, this kingdom in our hearts, it's our life system and it pumps to every part of our body, even to our brain. I even read that your heart responds to uh, like a, an emergency or a tragedy before your brain does. 
your heart will start pumping blood fast to prepare for something that if something bad's about to happen before your brain even recognizes that something is bad's about to happen. And I was like, what? That's crazy. And I think it's, it's evidence. There's a lot of Eastern countries that, that believe a lot of this, that understand the heart more than we even do. But spiritually, we see that the heart is, is the source of who we are, and it's where our true identity comes from. When we function from the heart, we renew our minds every day. Okay, this is what I see, but this isn't necessarily the kingdom that I serve, right? The kingdom's in my heart. So now I say, okay, well, I see this, but I know this. Man, that's so much better. It says we don't see people after the flesh anymore. We see them after the spirit. That is calling up people into their full potential. You guys know me, and I love old beater cars and rust buckets and stuff, and I just want to buy all of them and fix them all up. Tracy's not thrilled about any of that, but I, <laughs> I love I just see, I always see things finished before I even start on them. Like, I see them at their full potential. I'm like, that's going to be awesome when I get done with it. And nobody else can see it. They're like, why would you even want this thing? I'm like, you don't even know. It's going to be great. And I love it. I just, I love doing that kind of stuff. And I think God's the same way. And that's how we should see people all to their full potential. See them as the spirit sees them. That's what the kingdom looks like. Kingdom vision, like our kingdom lenses we keep talking about. That's what this new covenant teaches us. It's like, okay, we see things differently than everyone else sees them. When you walk around and you you enter someone, uh, uh, Sam's dad actually said when I, when I walked up, he said, are you the pastor? I was like, yeah. He's like, well, you carry that kind of pastor presence. I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> Normally people think, who's this guy? You know. But I think about what that reminded me of is in the spirit is you guys carry the presence of God, every one of you. Everywhere you go, you carry the presence of God. You're not, you don't have to summon, you don't have to be like Kong, boom, boom, like bring, bring. Lord, come. And, and some of those, I, I have issues with some of those worship songs where we're just trying to like summons God to come meet us. And it's for that reason. We do need to recognize, and I'm not saying that there's not benefits to us gathering together and worshiping. We don't feel the spirit move, man. He moves, no doubt. But you're not conjuring him to come. He came 2,000 years ago, and he gave you his spirit, and you're not checking him at the door. There ain't nothing you can do to get more of him, quote, unquote, more of him. You have him all the time. You just need to recognize how much you have. That's the renewing of your mind. That's where we drop the ball. When we go and we think we're just living normal lives like humans. You're not. You're living a supernatural life because you've been given eternity when you were born again. Not one day in glory land when you die. you got glory land right now. Are you sharing it? Not share it or God's going to be mad at you. Share it because it's good news. <laughs> it's fun. It's, it's beneficial to others and it's beneficial to you. I've never shared the gospel with somebody and I thought, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. That was such a burden. Man, <laughs> they, were, they were blessed and that really bothers me. You know, that took, that, that took five minutes out of my life. But if you, if you think like the world thinks, you think, I have to do all this stuff, I have to do all this stuff, I have to do all this stuff, and Jesus says, no, my burden is easy. This, 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 this yoke that we go together, I do all the heavy lifting. Come, come walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. It's, it's light. It's, it's not, I make it to where it's light, not you. You can't do it. If you try it, it ain't going to be light. But if you yoke yourself with me, I will make these things light. I will make this burden easy on you. I'm not like the Pharisees. I'm not trying to put something on you that I can't carry. I carried it. I did it. 
I was the perfect sacrifice. I was the perfect priest. I was the eternal one. No more bulls. No more goats. No more priests standing and sitting. I sit forever. It's done. It's finished. What they put above him? King. They were, they were making fun of him, but they were telling the truth. This is the king. This is your king. This is our king. So he made a public spectacle of anything you'll ever deal with in your life. He said, I'm going to take care of it right now. You have no excuse. Grace is not some excuse to go sin, which is ridiculous. People say that to me. I say, you don't understand grace. Come back to me when you understand grace, and then we can have a discussion. Grace is the wind in our sails that lets us live this life, this abundant life that he gave us, to share the good news with others freely. Cast seeds. We get caught up in what the soil looks like. And all, the only reason he told us about all the soils is so we wouldn't get discouraged. So just cast seeds. You can even make them grow. We're like, well, what about these? Does this mean that the weeds grow up and that's these people? So that wasn't the point of the whole parable. The parable was you can't make the stuff grow anyway. Just keep casting seeds. You're the seed caster. I, the sun makes them grow. I make them grow. I posted this morning... You may never see the results of the love that you give. Give it anyway. We're, we're too results-oriented. We want to see it happen right now. Boom, boom, boom. Or, <laughs> we want to make people feel uncomfortable at Walmart. Have you stolen anything? <laughs> Do you know Jesus? People recognize that, and they put up walls immediately. You know what, you know what people don't put up walls? When you give them something. You don't expect anything in return. No strings attached. You say, hey, I just want to bless you. Who does that sound like? Jesus. I just want to pray for you. If, you. if you want to get saved right now, maybe that's the time. Maybe that's the season. I want, I want to be there for that. That's important. I'm not saying it's not important. But every encounter is not that. Every encounter is a step closer to them understanding who God is. Your job as a Christian is not to catapult people to heaven when they die one day or give them tickets. Our job, as according to the Bible, is to reconcile. We've been given the spirit, or the spirit of reconciliation. Our job is to reconcile people to God. It's the same thing Jesus did. Your job as a Christian is to go out and give the good news of the gospel and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit do. He's a big boy. We neglect this greatest, greatest, most powerful gift that we have half the time because we think it's all on our backs. When it says, when you speak, the Holy Spirit goes with it. Speak those words like, a, like a, this double-edged sword that he gives. When you speak, God moves and he doesn't leave people alone. When my friend Jarrett talked to me, there were lots of sleepless nights when I was tossing and turning. It wasn't just the words that he said, but it was the Holy Spirit piercing my heart. And I, I didn't. Some of it was rough. But I remember tossing and turning nights and nights and nights trying to figure out, is this true? Is this real? And it was God chasing me down. I wasn't looking for that. I honestly was just messing with Jarrett in the beginning like, Here's another one of these guys, right? Thinks he's better than everybody, this holy roller guy. Let's get his angle. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, really, I was a jerk. I was probably trying to prove him wrong about something. But ultimately, when he spoke, the Holy Spirit was just running me down. That's what you have. And it's good. It's not, it's not bad. It's not scary. This kingdom, you get, to, you get to reconcile people to God by giving the good news of the gospel on earth as it is in heaven. That's what the kingdom looks like. All right. I know y'all are hungry.
we'll get to Matthew 8. We'll probably start Matthew 8 next week. Um, kind of get to some of the stories of the healing, which is pretty cool because some people skipped ahead when he was really supposed to be there for the Jews first and the Gentiles, and they had a couple Gentiles that really got it before the Jews did. And he gets frustrated. It's pretty funny. But he's like, this guy gets it. This woman gets it. She talks about crumbs. She understands what this looks like. You're going to see a pattern as we, as we go through and continue to look at how God's kingdom begins to explode on earth and people are not crazy about it. Some people aren't, usually because it threatens the people that want to control others. The thing about grace is it, 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 it allows you to give up that control to God. <clears throat> Me as a pastor and you as Christians, don't seek to control people. You can't control people's behavior. The moment the threat of, of, of punishment or vice versa or the, uh, the reward of something is lifted, people are going to do what they want to do. That's what Jesus addresses. What do you want to do and why do you want to do it? That's what the kingdom does. It goes into somebody's heart and it addresses their deepest, most inmost fears and insecurities and strengths and weaknesses, and it gets right to the heart of the issue and says, you can't do any of these things without me. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Man, I made it the whole time without coughing. Thank you, Lord. I've been hacking up all morning. That's how cool God is. <coughs> um, but anytime, anytime that you speak the good news of the gospel, the Holy Spirit goes with it, and don't, don't think that, that it goes unnoticed. Not, um, let me say that a different way. The Holy Spirit leaves no man unchanged. So don't, don't, don't take it lightly that you carry this Holy Spirit. Recognize it. And don't take it too heavily as though you have to fix everyone's problems and you have to know everything because you don't. That's usually most people's insecurities that I'm going to screw up. God didn't go through all the trouble of sacrificing his son, sending him to heaven, and then sending this Holy Spirit to be a comforter and leader for us to mess it up. Recognize the Holy Spirit is renewing your mind every day. Read scriptures and see how it works. As ignorant as I was, God was gracious enough to let me understand it. And most of you guys are probably smarter than I am. So you can get it if you want to. The thing that, the thing that really got me thinking is, of all things, it was an engine code of a Subaru. We had a WRX back in the day, and it was an EJ20. And I remember thinking, I know the engine code to a Subaru. I can figure out scripture. Like, I can remember things that I care about, right? And it made me think, okay, I'm going to dig in a little bit deeper. So I started reading different versions of the Bible. I started reading Greek lexicons and, and Hebrew. And I was like, wow, everything started coming to life. Like, this is what this means. I'd always been taught this way, but this is what this means. I always just skipped over this because I didn't understand it, but now it makes so much sense. When we had our grace conference, I remember uh, one of the questions they asked all of us up there was, was there one specific scripture that really helped you understand uh, God's grace and what that looks like? And they all gave good answers. I was like, man, I can't think of one specific one. But what I could remember was there were lots of gaps that I couldn't fill that didn't make any sense without it. And once I got it, all of those made sense. It's like, oh, that's what he's talking about. That's what he means by this. This always I never made any sense to me, and now it does. And they were, they were all over the Bible were those gaps. And so when I understood the finished work of Jesus, it was like, oh, this makes so much sense now. Like a light bulb went off. Like, whoa, light bulb went off. All right, I'm rambling now. <clears throat> Stand up with me. I'm going to pray for you guys. Hope you guys have a Merry Christmas. I, try, I hope I didn't keep you all too long. <clears throat> Father, I just thank you for this day. Lord, I, I, I thank you that we can come and we can celebrate you. We can come with thankfulness and worship, and we can learn more about who you are and your character. Um, Lord, thank you that you, you did send Jesus, that we can 
look to him to be this perfect example of who you are, the character of God that cares and love, loves us. Lord, we don't ignore that you have wrath. We just thank you that you poured it out on your son on our behalf. And so when we come with thanksgiving, we come with thanksgiving because we know your heart. We know your heart from the beginning of time was for us and was for us to have relationship with you. Lord, thank you that you, you have given us such, this, such a beautiful, beautiful grace that we can walk with you and we can talk to you and we can know you as father and you know us as sons and daughters. Lord, help us to see as we go out throughout these coming weeks and this new year, Lord, that we will see kingdom opportunities and see them for what they are. Lord, these divine encounters are not just coincidences, but you have placed people in our lives so that we can bless them and we can bring your kingdom on earth everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.